The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. This morning's scripture reading comes from John's Gospel, chapter 12, and we're reading verses 1 through 8. This is the story of Jesus' anointing at Bethany. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it when he, when, um, sorry, he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for this day of, of my burial. She has kept it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. All right. I've always been kind of intrigued by the character of Judas Iscariot. Like, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, what do we know about this guy, really? Like, John tells us he was a thief. He stole from the offering pouch. Um... I think there's just got there's got to be a lot more to his story, you know. Like if Jesus is your cash source, what in the world? Why would you betray him? It doesn't make any sense. And uh, you know, it, in art, um, it actually turns out that uh, there's a lot of different explanations for why Jesus was bad. You sometimes see Jesus portrayed as a redhead. Uh, sometimes he's portrayed portrayed as black. Or portrayed with like stereotypically Jewish features, and uh, and and that's the explanation of why Judas turned on Jesus. Uh, it's because of his ethnicity uh, and some of these ethnic stereotypes about that uh, that people held at the time. Now, obviously, yes, that's offensive. It's also dumb. I mean, we reject uh, that Judas' actions had anything to do with his race or his his ethnicity, which was as as far as we know was exactly the same as the, the the rest of the disciples. But one portrayal of Judas Iscariot that's always um, fascinated me is the one from Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, the rock opera from the 1970s, which probably none of you have seen, but I've seen a whole bunch of times. Um, this Judas in, in Jesus Christ Superstar is he's panicked. He's afraid. He's a, he's a nationalist and he's nervous about the danger to the race. Uh, because Jesus' fame is out of control and, and everybody's it's gotten to this point where like everybody is cares about Jesus, the person, and they've forgotten about his message. And so in the opening song of Jesus Christ Superstar, Judas Iscariot sings, listen to this. He sings, listen, Jesus, I don't like what I see. All I ask is that you listen to me and remember, I've been your right hand man all along. You've set them all on fire. They think they found the new Messiah and they'll hurt you when they find they're wrong. He says, I remember when this whole thing began, 
No talk of God, then. We called you a man. And believe me, my admiration for you hasn't died. But every word you say today gets twisted round some other way, and they'll hurt you if they think you've lied. And then he goes, listen, Jesus, do you care for your race? Don't you see? We must keep in our place. We are occupied. Have you forgotten how put down we are? I'm frightened by the crowd, for we are getting much too loud, and they will crush us if we go too far. Now, I, I uh, admit freely that Jesus Christ Superstar is a guilty pleasure for me. Its, uh, it's doctrine is terrible. Okay, don't gather your Christology from Jesus Christ Superstar. But the music rocks. Okay, and it's Judas is actually really believable. Like we can relate to the fears of a guy like this. You know, it's, it's quite plausible that this is what Judas was concerned about. Uh, although, yes, obviously, it, yes, it takes some, some liberties. One thing we know for sure, Judas was greedy. He's greedy. You know, uh, so let's talk about greed for a minute. Um, greed is a unique sin. It's not like uh, it's not like adultery or murder. I mean, it, it, those are sins that you basically know if you are guilty of. OK, I mean, nobody needs to tell you that you're guilty of murder. But greed is different because greedy people don't think that they're being greedy. Uh, you know, I remember when I was 10 years old, I was really jealous of my brother because he had a paper route and he made pretty good money and I had none. And I would help my brother uh, and, and deliver the, his papers. And when when I did, he would give me 50 cents. And it made me really angry because I thought I deserved a lot more. So one day I happened to find $10 in his dresser and I wrestled with taking it. You know, I did the math. I waited out. Should I take it? Should I not take it? What's the best thing that happens if I take it? What's the worst thing that happens if I take it? What's the best thing that happens if I leave it? What's the worst thing that happens if I leave it? And um, And since the worst thing that would happen if I took it, seemed way better to me at the time than the best thing that happens if I leave it, I took it. And my plan was, I'm going to make it look like I found this money on the way home from school. And the problem was, it wasn't, and I wasn't very smart, I think, I, I, I can admit now, but um, it wasn't a $10 bill, it was two fives. And so I was super offended because my brother and my parents wouldn't believe that I just sort of found two fives two days in a row uh, at the, um, you know, at the same time that my brother lost two fives. And so I lied and lied and lied, um, because I felt that oh, I deserved this money. And that's how greed works. You know, greed feels like justice. And that's why this story is so important. You know, if we'd been there, we might've agreed with Judas and we might try to stop Mary from making what looks like this big mistake, except that Jesus praises Mary and he scolds Judas. All right. That's you got to get this. Jesus praises Mary for what she's done, and he scolds Judas for trying to stop her. And so I want us I want us to move through this story and want us to ask some questions about greed and about generosity. You know, it's it's uh, it's helpful every once in a while to have a talk about giving and about greed. Um, uh, and, and I think if this works, we're going to have an answer to a couple of questions. One. One question is going to be, how do we know when we're ready to give? But the other question is going to be, how can I know if I'm giving generously? And I think if this works, we'll, we'll have a couple answers to those questions. So I want to move through this story, ask some questions uh, so that we can hear what the Lord wants to say to us about greed. Okay, here are the questions I want to ask, just so we're, we're clear where we're going. First question is, what, what was Mary thinking? 
And why doesn't Jesus stop her? Uh, third question, what was Jesus thinking? Fourth question, why does Jesus stop him? And then we're going to close with what does Jesus want from us? All right. So here we go. Let's talk about what Mary was thinking. So what was she thinking? So let's set this up. Uh, a few days before this, her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead. Okay, we talked about this last week. It was a really powerful sign, such a powerful sign, in fact, that by the end of the night, there's a crowd gathered at her house. And uh, after the portion we read, the priests are going to gather and they're going to have a meeting and they're going to decide uh, to kill not just Jesus, but Lazarus. Now, Mary and Martha don't know that. They're just so grateful that Lazarus is alive and they want to show it. And so Martha, she's going to do a very Martha thing and she's going to say, I'm going to throw a dinner party because I can cook. That's that's how I roll. So that's what I'll do. I'll serve uh, food at this dinner party. And that's awesome. It's beautiful. And her sister, Mary, Lazarus sister, says, uh, well, what can I give? I'm, I'm not Martha. I can't do some of the things that she can do. But I do have that perfume. Now, we don't know where it came from, but we knew we do know its value. Its value is 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages for a middle class worker. OK. Now, it's interesting. Uh, it, it's interesting that she still had this left over after the death of her brother. She didn't use this perfume to anoint the body of her brother, Lazarus. But Jesus is here and she decides now it's time to bust it out. And she anoints Jesus feet. Like and she's she's poured. Yeah, she's she's pouring some of it out on Jesus feet. And, you know, a Jewish woman, typically she had her hair tied up and covered. But Mary, she lets her hair down and she's using it as a towel to rub the perfume into his feet. Okay, she's anointing Jesus' feet. It's like an anointing. An anointing is is what you do for a priest, you know, before he makes an offering for the people. An anointing is what you do for a king before he before his coronation. But for Mary here, this getting low and this anointing of Jesus' feet, this is a sign, you know. This is a, it's it's more than a sign of thanks. This is like it's adoration, it's humility. This is it's a sign of worship, and they all knew it. They all knew that that's what this is. And that's why the early church father, Chrysostom, said that this is what makes her especially remarkable. Her action was directed to one greater than man, and therefore she brings to Christ that part which is the most honorable member of her whole body, her head, and lays her hair over his feet. So Mary puts herself out there. She anoints Jesus as a form of worship, this very costly, extravagant gift this anointing, it's, it, it is a sign of worship. That's what she's thinking, okay? That's what Mary's thinking. The next question, you know, is why doesn't Jesus stop her? Why doesn't he stop her? Now, that's not a strange question because, uh, like, imagine a friend, you know, a friend who is kind of wealthy says, hey, you know, I am, I'm so grateful for Benediction Church. Uh, I just want to thank you guys by donating this beautiful old restored church building. Okay, you guys own it. It's yours now. No, no strings attached. So probably some of us would go, wow, this is like a one million. This is like a million dollar property. This is an amazing gift. And others would be like, yeah, that is an expensive gift. But in a building, that's a huge responsibility. Our our ministry model doesn't really require us or, or justify owning a property right now. Um, thanks. But it really kind of seems like a waste. Like if that person really wants to help. Maybe sell it 
maybe give us a check for the proceeds and we can just we can you know use some of it and distribute it and give it out to other people who might need it more than we do some of us would do that right and and you might expect Jesus to do the same with Mary and stop her but he doesn't instead in verse 7 Jesus says don't sell it he's like hold on to it and and, and uh He's like, don't, yeah, don't sell it. Hold on to it. Use it again when I'm dead and it's time for my burial. Now, why? Why is, why is it appropriate for her to anoint his feet like this? Uh, Jesus has this thought process. This is why he doesn't stop her. It's like, okay, he's got a choice between if he stops her or if he lets her go through with it. So what's the worst thing that happens if he stops her? Well, she feels rejected. Maybe the guys are going to laugh at her. I can see that being pretty humiliating, you know, pretty maybe possibly destructive to her faith. And Jesus is like, well, what's the best thing that happens if I stop her? Okay, well, they'll have this expensive uh, perfume to sell, um, which, by the way, none of them even knew about before. It's like, so this would be like they just won the lottery. Okay, so that's what happens if he stops her. But what if he lets her go ahead with it? What's the worst thing that happens if Jesus lets her have her way? Well, the worst thing that happens is that some expensive perfume is gone and and maybe some of the guys in the room think that she's kind of reckless. But what's the best thing that happens if Jesus lets her go through with it? If he lets her go through with it, you know what? She sets an example for the rest of them in the room and the rest of us of what lavish, fragrant, heartfelt worship looks like. Okay, she's, she's set herself apart as a woman of courage and gratitude and generosity. But most of all, Jesus would have been worshipped, and that's the win. And that's why he doesn't stop her. Okay? She's not doing this to earn something else from Jesus or to gain something. She's Worship is the end. Okay? That worship is the reason she's doing this. It's not, the, it's not a means towards something else. And so, yeah, maybe her gift looks reckless to some people, but Jesus is worthy, and that's the point. It's like this. For Mary, the worst thing that happens if she goes through with it is way better than the best thing that happens if she doesn't. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop her. So let me say that again in case it's confusing. For Mary, here's how the math works out, okay? The worst thing that happens if she goes through with it is way better than the best thing that happens if she doesn't. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop her. Okay, so that's what Mary was thinking. That's why Jesus doesn't stop her. Now, what was Judas thinking? Okay. Let's go back to Jesus Christ Superstar for a minute. Um, in that play, in that musical, they make Judas sort of like the voice of reason. He's the voice of justice and virtue. I mean, he really is the protagonist. Jesus isn't the protagonist in the in, the, in Jesus Christ Superstar. Judas is. And during the scene where uh, Jesus is anointed by Mary, uh, yeah, he's, by the, in the scene where he's anointed at, in Bethany by Mary, um, he. Judas confronts Mary and he confronts Jesus and says, woman, your fine ointment, brand new and expensive, should have been saved for the poor. Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. People who are hungry, people who are starving matter more than your feet and your hair. Now, that's really a paraphrase of John 12, verse 5. Now, that's part of what Judas was thinking. But in scripture, we also know that Judas was a thief. In verse four, we know that Judas was about to betray him. And in verse six, we know that Judas doesn't even care that much about the poor. Um, and, and so, yes, Judas is a hypocrite. Yes, he's greedy. But, okay, he's greedy, but, 
that still doesn't make it a, an unreasonable question. It doesn't make him wrong for wanting her not to spend, not to pour out this this expensive perfume on Jesus. So let's do the math again. Let's look at the decision-making process here from Judah's perspective. Because Judas has a choice to make now. His decision is whether to whether to try and stop her or to let her go through with it. So what's the best thing that happens if he stops her? If he stops her, a whole lot of poor people might be helped and they prevent Mary from wasting this offering and maybe he gets to pocket a bit of it for himself. That's the best thing that happens. Um, now what's the worst thing that happens if he can stop her? The worst thing that happens is nothing. It, it's a win for everybody, uh, maybe except for Mary because maybe she'd be embarrassed, but she doesn't really understand money anyway, so who really cares? Um, now, suppose he lets her go through with it. What's the best thing that happens? Well, Jesus' feet get to smell nice, I guess. But so what? But you know what? The worst thing that happens if she goes through with it is that Judas loses his share of the pot, and, and the poor don't get to be helped, and Mary's going to waste a fortune on Jesus, and he's going to be dead pretty soon anyway. And so to, G, to Judas, it's like this, okay? To Judas, the worst thing that happens if he stops her is way better than the best thing that happens if he lets her go through with it. So that might be confusing. So let me say it again. From, Ju, from Judas' perspective, the worst thing that happens if he can stop her is way still way better than the best thing that happens if she goes through with it. And that's what Judas is thinking. And you know what? I bet a lot of you agree, except that Jesus allows it. He lets her go through with this act of worship. And so we should ask, why does Jesus stop him? Why does Judas, Jesus stop Judas? Why does Jesus stop Judas? Um, he explains in verse 8. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you don't always have me. And you might, you could be forgiven for reading that and thinking that Jesus is saying, yeah, I get it. The poor, okay, blah, blah, blah. What else is new? That is not what Jesus means, like, at all. Um, this is actually a quote from the Old Testament, because back in, in Deuteronomy, God had told them how they are to treat the poor. He said in uh, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11, you'll give to them, give to the, you shall give to him, the poor, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So God's point here in this passage in Deuteronomy is the poor are your brothers. Like they are your equals. And they're always going to be there. And you will, you will never run out of opportunities to serve them if that's what you want. And so you should be generous to the needy. But if Jesus is only around a little bit longer... Now is the time to be with him because he's only there's a, you know, you have this great opportunity to serve the poor. They will always be with you. But Jesus is around only a short time longer. This is your time, therefore, to anoint him and then help the poor once he's gone. And I guess you could say it this way. This is why Jesus. This is why Jesus stops Judas, because the best thing that happens if Judas gets his way is still way worse than the worst thing that happens if Mary gets her way. And that's why Judas has to be stopped. Let me say that again, because I think, just in case it's confusing. The math works like this. Okay, this is Jesus' decision-making process for why he stops Judas. 
The best thing that happens if Judas gets his way is still way worse than the worst thing that happens if Mary does. And that's why he stops him. So like a guy like Judas, he sounds really woke, right? Really sensitive, really just. The truth is that Judas just thinks that every dollar spent on Jesus is a waste. And Judas doesn't help the poor when he has the chance. He's a total hypocrite. Okay, And even worse, Judas feels he knows better than Jesus. And so the problem with Judas isn't actually greed. Like, not really. At the, at the bottom of it, it's unbelief. And therefore, we need to ask, what does Jesus want from us? What does Jesus want from us? So, so one solution might be for us to make a rule. Okay, uh, so if you're going to be part of this church, you're going, we expect you to give a tithe uh, off of your net income. So some churches do that. Now, why do they do that? Um, well, it's based off of this Old Testament concept of Israel's tithe. And the word tithe means a tenth. Now, the thing is, Israel actually had three tithes that they were expected to pay. And so, so a normal Israelite family isn't giving 10% of their income. They're actually giving about 23% of their annual net wealth. Okay, that's the that's the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we have Jesus. We have the spirit. We have not a law. We have Christ and we have the law of his spirit. And we have uh, and, and he directs us to give generously, not a number, not a not a not um, a quota, but a principle of generosity. And so in Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verses six and seven, uh, the spirit says the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And so the spirit through Paul is saying that, look, not a law now, not a quota, now a principle, a generosity. Now you're going to give generously, sacrificially. And so for some people, 10%, that actually is generous. But there are others, other people, other families who you wouldn't miss 10%. And so, I mean, you could give away 10%. You wouldn't even miss it. And so that's actually not generous. Okay. Some people, 10% is generous, but for others, it's not. For other people, giving 10%, that would put you on the street. So as a church, when it comes to giving, no, we don't have a law. We don't have a, a quota here. We have a, we have a principle uh, of generosity. We're going to invite you to give generously and encourage you to give sacrificially. So you're going to go before God and you're going to decide what generosity looks like. Uh, and you're going to give that. And we're going to trust you with that. And in this story, Jesus shows us what God has to say about greed and about generosity. It's actually not about money. It's about worship. OK, it's not about money. It's actually about worship. And so, uh, you know, in fact, about a week after this, Jesus is going to die. As a substitute for sin on the cross, three days later, he's going to rise in victory over everything that somebody like Judas is afraid of. Everything that Judas is afraid to lose, Jesus will conquer it. And if you if you know that Jesus has done that for you, you're free. If you know he's done that for you, then you know that your wealth isn't in what you own here. You know that no matter what your standard of living, you have a better home, you have a better kingdom waiting for you. And 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 so we're going to waste. We're, we're not going to. It is not a waste of our resources to invest them 
in God's kingdom here and now. In fact, he's entrusted with these things for the very purpose that we can invest our treasure and invest our time and invest our talent in that kingdom here and now. In fact, I, I, I think um, actually we, ha- we are getting now to the, the question. We're getting now to the answers to the questions that we set out with at the beginning. Um, there's a, one of those questions is, how do we know when we're ready to give? And, and, you know, this is an important question we should we really should wrestle with. How do we know when we're ready to give? How do we know when giving makes sense? What's is there some, you know, what at what point do we know that we're ready to give? Well, here's the answer to that, I think, based on this story. When the worst thing that happens if you give is still better than the best thing that happens if you don't. That's when your giving will be worship. And that's when you should give. Okay, let me say that again. When the worst thing that happens if you give is still better than the best thing that happens if you don't, that's when your giving will be worship, and that's when you are ready to start giving. And the the, the second and the last question uh, before we close is, how do you know if you're giving generously? How do you know if you're giving generously? Uh, I think we have it from this story. A generous offering feels to the giver like worship, but to the greedy, like those who think that they know better than Jesus, that same offering feels like a waste. Okay, let me say it again. A generous offering feels to the giver like worship, but to the greedy, that same offering feels like a waste. So I'm going to encourage you to take this with you and really wrestle with with what giving looks like, generous giving looks like in your own uh, family in your own uh, context, um, that is between you and the Lord. But can I just tell you, um, there is such blessing and freedom in being able to give and to being able to, being able to give more uh, than you thought you could to your church, to people in your community, to causes that are deserving. Thank you for listening.